before we, as I start the message for this morning, um, is there ever a saying that, that somebody um, uses or overuses, maybe a cliche that kind of drives you nuts? Anybody think of one of those phrases that you hear people say that drives you nuts? Uh, let's just see, how many of you, when someone says, it is what it is, that drives you crazy? Anybody with me? Okay, there's a handful of us, there's a handful of us. It's one of my wife's favorite sayings. It's not fair right now, is it, honey? No, it's not at all. But I'm, I'm glad to have, you know, Dwayne raise his hand. Thank you, Dwayne. Uh, John Lynch also drives John crazy. Uh, comedian Jerry Seinfeld, Jim Gaffigan. I mean, come on, with those four, you got, right? You, you got Seinfeld, Gaffigan, Dwayne Cross, right? John Lynch, I mean, with those four, how could any of us want to use that phrase anymore? Uh, so it just drives me crazy. But don't worry, I have a phrase that drives Heidi crazy. Now that I'm telling them this, they're going to start saying that in front of us all the time, aren't they? Should I not give myself up? I have to give myself up, okay. My, my phrase that I say is, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, right? I like that one, Heidi. That's pretty close to the same thing. And it, that drives uh, Heidi nuts. So now, now you know, now I've given our, ourselves up and y'all can relentlessly tease us about it. But don't worry, if you're married, we'll find out from your spouse what your catchphrase is. We'll give it right back to you. Um, those are kind of playful, funny ones. There's one, I'm gonna tell you though, that really does make me crazy, uh, and it's kind of used in religious context that really makes me nuts. I hate it when people say, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Um, now I know people that say it, you know, they're trying to encourage, oh, hey, you don't know how to do something, just, you know what, just try, just, I, I get that, I appreciate that. But I think that translates into religious context in ways that are, are can be super unhealthy, right? Um, I worked at another church in town here, and the youth pastor at that church was friends with a quarterback whom I will, uh, I won't name him, but he, he was a college quarterback for USC, um, got drafted into the NFL. Now you can go do your, he was, uh, he was a Viking for a little while, Bruce, um, but we won't name him. But I went uh, to listen to the youth group when he was speaking, came and visited our church here, and um, his whole message was on fake it till you make it. <laughs> And again, I know he was trying to be helpful, but what, what, what I came away from and what cemented for me that I did not like that, that phrase, I mean, it's a catchy phrase, right? But what I didn't like about it is it just seemed to encourage this idea that we're supposed to fake, that we're supposed to pretend, that we're not supposed to be real. And if you don't understand something or struggle with something, ah, just, you know what, forget it, just fake it. And the problem is that flies in the face. Even though it's kind of a cute little catchy phrase sometimes, the problem with it is that it flies in the face of what Jesus said to his followers, to you and me. He said how life is to be lived. He didn't tell us to fake it till we make it. Um, Jesus said something quite different, which we're going to look at in our message today. Uh, and one of the things that he said that's very different than fake it till you make it is, blessed are those who mourn for they will be, anyone know? Comforted. Um, that's really the opposite of fake it till you make it. And so a couple of weeks ago, we returned to our series that we're calling the Upside Down Message of Jesus. And this series is based on a set of scriptures that are the first recorded sermon that Jesus gave in the Bible that was recorded at least. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter Five and the whole thing is called the Sermon on the Mount. In the beginning are nine phrases where, where Jesus starts out saying, blessed are the, and I'll read those in a moment, but these are often called the Beatitudes. Blessed are those, and he goes on with the saying, and 
These are often known as the Beatitudes. That's what our series is going to focus on until we get through them all or, or longer. Who knows, right? But picture this. Jesus comes. He sits on a mountainside. His disciples come to him, just the smaller group, not the giant group that's been following him and watching him with all the crazy miracles. He leaves the big crowd behind. He starts to teach his disciples, and he delivers what they had to think was the strangest sermon they'd ever heard. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, some of you have heard uh, Dave Johnson, um, uh, who you're going to hear me refer to him quite a bit because uh, he wrote a book on this and it was very formative in my own understanding of this passage. But Dave was actually down here. Um, it's funny, he comes and preaches only during spring training. I don't like, huh, funny. Um, I mean, if you really love this, wouldn't he be here like right now when it's 111, amen, right? Did you hear that? We got that on the feed? Okay, we'll send that to Dave later. That's good. Um, but what he says about this passage is uh, um, he has a different uh, a different phrase that he wants to call it now, and this is a newer one for him. Um, uh, he has, and I'll tell you what the phrase is in a moment, but you know, the truth is when we hear someone talk about the Beatitudes, it kind of can lull us to sleep. When we call it the Beatitudes, it really sounds a little religious. So Dave said, I'd rather call this crazy stuff that Jesus said. Crazy stuff that Jesus said. I mean, what do you guys think? Would you buy a book by Dave with that title, right? And by the way, he toned that down from some other ideas, but you couldn't sell it in a Christian bookstore, so... Um, and I think Dave is on to something here. Uh, he's, he's, he's definitely on to something because calling this and just thinking it of as the Beatitudes actually could make this set of verses sound boring or hyper-spiritualized, maybe sound like an impractical, religious-sounding uh, list. That It's a little poetic. We'll, we'll give it that. It's a little poetic, but... But it's completely useless when it comes to living my life as a follower of Jesus. If we get into that realm, we could easily just kind of dismiss these verses and move on. And in fact, when Jesus first preached these verses, these scriptures, this teaching to his disciples, it probably did sound to them like crazy stuff that Jesus says. When he starts out with what Pastor Jim uh, preached on last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we looked at what poor in spirit means. It means um, one who is reduced to begging dependence, one who is broken. Well, that doesn't sound fun. That's not real attractive. I don't, I don't like to be broken, so skip that blessing. Thank you very much. I don't want to be poor. Except that Jesus says that the kingdom of God doesn't come to those who are full of themselves. The kingdom of God doesn't come to those who are boasting, uh, who are attacking others and putting others down. Uh, it doesn't come to people who make everything about them. No, grace comes to us not when we have climbed the top of the pile, but when we realize that we are utterly dependent on God. Grace comes to us when we turn to him and say, I have no hope but you. I will completely depend on you, Jesus. That's who gets it, the broken, the dependent. 
And then look at the next one. This is the one we'll look at today. The next upside down statement here is, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And again, already we're like thinking, we hear this teaching, it's like, oh great, this kingdom of God stuff sounds like a real party, doesn't it? A party of broken, pathetic, you know, depressing, sad sacks. Is Jesus saying here like, well, happy are the sad and blessed are the bummed. I mean, I can think of something more catchy than that. And so I think we have to do what we did last week. What Jim did with us last week is we take this a little deeper. Uh, It helps sometimes to even unpack some of the words from the original language it was written in. And this Greek word, mourning, is translated from um, the word Greek word penthos. Penthos means to mourn. And this gives us a picture. And in the time of Jesus, in that day, in that age, in that culture, this kind of mourning penthos was something that was expressed overtly, even physically in different ways. So for instance, when a tragedy were to occur or a death, people, it was normal, you did this in that culture and still in many cultures in the Middle East, um, people will loudly weep. They don't hide it, they loudly weep. They shave or even cover their heads. They tear their clothing. Maybe they wrap themselves in what's called sackcloth. They cover themselves with Ashes, if you've read some of the scripture or know anything about some of these cultures, this was a normal thing. And this was all done as an external expression on the outside of what was really going on inside. And and the idea behind this word mourn is that it's an internal an external expression of this internal reality, right? It's a it's an external expression of an internal reality. We get out here. On the outside, what's going on in here, inside, in our hearts? And that's a crucial piece of what it means to mourn because we bring stuff outside to express it externally. Um, We don't hide it. We don't fake it. In fact, we stop hiding. We stop pretending in the kingdom of God. It's a place that's safe enough for us to be real, for us to mourn, to express what's really happening in here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted means that we get honest, we get real with each other about our struggles, our fears, our doubts, our failures. We express on the outside the honest truth of what's happening in our hearts. Because here's the honest truth. Um, For me, um, sometimes it's real easy for me to be sad on the inside, but to never express it outside. But according to Jesus, those who are able to let the despair that they feel deep within come to the surface, to come out, they're the ones that will experience comfort. And perhaps only those people get it. Uh, We just lost a dear family member, one of uh, Heidi's uh, aunts, sooner than any of us expected. But one of the best things I observed is that some of the family members are really grieving and mourning well. They're doing it very well, which is very hard to do. Because you know this, when you go through loss, sometimes it's easier just to shut down, avoid the pain, numb out, which is an option. But the healthiest thing to do in situations like that is for us to mourn, to be real about it. And I've seen many of you in our church community, I've seen many of you who have done this and done this well. You've gone through hard times. I've watched many of you grieve and mourn in the face of your losses. Uh, 
which isn't always a given in a church, is it? Because oftentimes, and maybe especially in some churches, there's this temptation for people to hide and to cover. We want to stuff our feelings and we want to pretend it's fine. And instead of being honest and real, sometimes we act like there's something wrong with showing our sadness or confessing our struggle in sin. See, Jesus' concept of, of mourning is so different than that. It doesn't fit with what many Christians see as what we do with pain. In fact, some people, even though they might not say this out loud, the posture of their life as a Christian could be described this way. <clears throat> well, listen, good Christians don't fail. They don't get hurt. They don't stumble or get confused. They don't sin or get trapped in addiction. And if they do, they don't show it because it's more spiritual to hide it, which is a lie, but it's a lie that's commonly believed. And so they and we, we hide it, we stuff it, we fake it till you make it. And when we do that, friends, we become cynical, sad, maybe judgmental, angry, depressed. Oftentimes we get toxic. See, when we hide the truth about what's really going on inside of us, we become very much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Um, these were big-shot religious leaders in his day that he often argued with. And one of the problems that Jesus had with the Pharisees is their focus on how things looked on the outside. That was their focus, how things looked on the outside. Appearance what was what mattered most to them. Listen to this from Matthew 23, what Jesus thought of their outwardly focused efforts. Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. By the way, Jesus really needs to read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. This, I, you know, Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And Jesus is saying to them, among other things, you guys have missed it. You've been faking it. Your focus on the externals, the outside, you do that and you miss what's actually going on inside in your heart. You're, you're hypocrites because you don't realize that what's inside is what matters most. And so essentially what they were living like is that the message they believed is that how things look on the outside is what really matters. And here's a quote here. If we are in a system... So a family or a church, maybe even a workplace, if we're in a system where how things look is what matters, then how things really are will not be important. And friends, that's a, that's a problem. In fact, it's a sign of danger. Uh, Hope family, please, please hear me. Hiding, faking, or pretending isn't spiritual. It's actually toxic. See, the truth of the matter is that followers of Jesus do get hurt. We do sin. We do blow it badly. Christians experience depression, disappointment, pain, discouragement, and sorrow. And when that happens, all too often we put on this phoniness mask in the name of godliness or making God look good. Like, we wouldn't want people to think that Christian life is painful now, would we? I'm glad people laughed. That's right. 
Um, see, this notion that we shouldn't express our pain, um, sometimes there's even a weird pressure that, that Christians put on other Christians to put on this Christian mask and fake it. Let's, that notion actually runs counter to the words that Jesus says right here when Jesus says, the one who mourns, the one who gets to the outside what's really going on inside, that one gets the comfort. Look how uh, this is translated in the Phillips translation where it says, how happy are those who know what sorrow means for they will be given courage and comfort. Which is wonderful, wonderful promise. But the problem is if you're in a system, again, a family, a church, a workplace, where how things look is what really matters, you will never mourn, you will never say what is true, and you will live under the weight of things you were never meant to bear, things that actually you cannot bear and you cannot carry, at least, and still be a healthy, vibrant person who's alive, which just makes me wonder again and makes me wonder for us, like, what will happen for us when we live more deeply in this way of authenticity and vulnerability. I know we have that happening here, but what if we continue to talk about this and cultivate it as a value? I mean, what if our small groups were a safe place where, where people could go and not to whine or monopolize the time of others and just drain the life out of a group because it's always about them, but what if our small groups became more and more places that were safe places where people could go where they weren't worried about how things look on the outside, that's what's important, that, that gets kind of pushed to the side and that the way things are is actually what's important and people could tell the truth about their struggles and receive grace and support and courage and comfort. I just think about what if one of the married couples in our community, they were really struggling and instead of showing up on Sunday morning here uh, or at their small group, um, and pasting on that wonderful Christian smile that we paste on when we walk into small group or into church after, you know, driving all the way to church, fighting with your spouse or do you, right? And we get here and it's, oh my goodness, it's just a magical smile that comes on our face when we jump out of the car. Um, which is why we, don't, we drive separate cars to church. Um, but instead of pretending that life was just splendid, what if that couple got real honest in a safe place with very safe people? It has to be a safe place with safe people. What if they got honest with their circle of friends or maybe somebody that they know that's even sitting close to them or with their small group or with the prayer ministry team when we get to do that again? And they said the real thing. They said, you know what? We want a good marriage. And, and, and having a good marriage for real is, is, is more important to us than pretending that things are fine. But here's the truth. Our marriage isn't so good right now. Would you pray for us? And again, this isn't coming to a group of people to complain about your spouse. You know, that's not this. You don't lash out and manipulate and you don't take your spouse down in front of other people. No, no, no. It means that in a safe place, instead of blaming the other person, we tell the truth about what's going on in our life, in our marriages. And you know that in a safe place, where, where Christians who are full of grace and real love and they don't try to fix you, you know what happens in places like that when somebody tells the truth about what's going on in here? You might actually experience real comfort, real courage, real hope when you open up and say out here what's going on in here. 
And won't that be something? We have tastes. Uh, is the first time he's been, uh, feel, he's felt safe to be himself and be completely honest and authentic. The first time. And he's not that young. <laughs> um, we want that to spread. We want that to spread through our church and our community more and more because it's in here. That DNA was planted in the soil by Dwayne and Sherry. For years, they cultivated that kind of place here, and we want to continue to cultivate and, and, and fertilize, and well, <laughs> there's a lot of things we can fertilize with, right? Um, we want to water those grounds um, because Jesus has intended for that to be one of the distinctives of our, our church community for decades now. You know, this is a real thing to pay attention to because when we get in that trap of, you know, how things look is what matters, uh, we want to pay attention to this because, I mean, just think how this would flesh out. Um, if, if we live that way instead of authentically, um, if, if how things look is more important than how things are, think about what that looks like in a church setting. Because if that's what matters in a church system, then leaders can make the excuses to kind of skirt the truth. Like, ah, let's not tell the truth about this. Things have been tumultuous. We can't afford to rock the boat. We need to project a great image. So don't confront divisive, manipulative people. Let's just keep everybody happy. Don't say anything that might offend people, even if you're teaching from the Bible. Um, And in a church like that, there's toxic environments that just take over and drain the life out of the place. And I'm thinking of a church where I've been working with some of the staff members where that is what they have. Um, And the truth is that will not change until that leadership and the team and the elders get to the bottom of this and decide that, um, that how things look cannot be what is ultimately the most important thing. It can't be how things look. What has to matter there is how things really are. They have to start saying out loud so they can get out of this sick, toxic stuff where it's just brought destruction to pastors and leaders and people that have gone to that church for many years. Um, That's an environment that we are not gonna have here. We don't have that. We're not gonna drift toward it. We're gonna stay away from it. Um, Which me as a pastor is really important because if I was a pastor in a church where how things look is more important than how things really are. If that's the kind of church, which thank God we're not, but if I was in a place like that, then what's um, important in that kind of place uh, when it comes to the pastor is for you all to think that I am very spiritual. That actually becomes more important than me actually being spiritual. You just think I have to, think I have to walk with God. That's more important than me actually walking with God. And in a place where how things look is most important, then, then what happens when I get normal doubts about my faith, what happens then? Um, when I get discouraged by the typical stuff that discourages pastors, you know, stuff like finances or low attendance or crabby complaining people or, or people that get upset because we're talking about things that matter and they don't like the way we're saying it. Um, if what is on the outside is what matters, then in a place like that, uh, I'm gonna have to hide, right? In a place where I would have to hide as a pastor, that wouldn't make it a safe place to be a person in that church Um, because what happens when I blow it and sin? Uh, What happens when I'm tired and I'm dry or feel defeated or feel like I'm going through a spiritual and emotional desert? See, if how things look is most important, 
then what I would have to do as a pastor in a church like that is put out the phony guy mask, you know, it's time to hide it, it's time to fake it, right? Hey, how you doing? Things are just great. Yes, yes, God is good all the time and I am fine, right? That's, that's the kind of mask that I would have to wear and whew, I couldn't do it. And I wanna thank you, Pope Covenant, for not being like that. Thank you that, that I can be me, be real and never have to fake it. Thank you for providing an environment like that for our leaders. Um, now, just a caveat here. I mean, not every single struggle that I have or our leaders have is like, you know, public consumption. That's not what I mean about, you know, just being able to say everything as it is. There are appropriate levels of, of authenticity and vulnerability. Um, and for me, here's how I approach that in my life. Um, and I say this from time to time, but this is a good time to remind you that in my life, um, God has given me mentors and counselors and pastors and friends and people inside and outside of our church where I am real and honest and vulnerable and I have made the commitment that I will live with nothing hidden, nothing hidden. Um, and I will never be without those safe people and places. And having those safe people and places helps me to lead and love and pastor this amazing church family authentically. Because um, I can't tell you that we don't fake it around here if I'm faking it. I can't live that way. We won't live that way. Um, let's take that whole, you know, idea of when what's... Um, when how things look is more important than how things really are, let's even think about that for a moment. What's that look like in a family? In a family where how things look is more important than how things really are, then there's a mess, right? There's secrecy that happens. Abuse happens and thrives in family settings like that all the time. And it may look like loyalty because, well, we are we're a very close family. We don't tell anybody about the stuff that goes on in our inner circle. And I can guarantee you that's a surefire way to bring destruction to your actual family because living like that is not healthy. Um, see, in any system, church, family, even workplaces, a person who can't express the fact that they are, for instance, depressed, right? They can't get it out. So guess what? You can't get it out, you get to keep your depression. Um, the person who is not allowed to admit their doubt or confusion, they hide it, right? Guess what? They get to keep their doubt, their confusion. They just get to keep it. If you are in a place where you can't admit your sin or struggle, you can't say it out loud, then you gotta hide it. You gotta stuff it. If, if how things look is what matters most, then guess what? You get to keep your sin and addiction. You get to keep it. And when we do that, and there are ways that we all do that, we do that, we push away the life and love of God that is so available that Jesus points us to through living in this way of the kingdom of God that he invites us into because in the kingdom of God, in God's story, in God's ultimate way, the one who mourns, the one who gets to the outside what's going inside, that one is Blessed, and to that person comes comfort and courage and freedom and healing. Now, I'm going to um, touch on one more important thing here. Because um, I don't want to let this kind of just pass. And it's not worth it. Like, I don't think I could do a whole sermon on this. So, so I'm three minutes here. Um, 
I want to talk about this idea of mourning, getting stuff to the outside that's on the inside. Um, It is about the sad and hard and difficult stuff and saying that stuff out loud, but it is also, it also includes getting real and honest about our sin and brokenness. Like we need, we need to grieve and mourn the hard stuff, right? Uh, We also need to get the stuff out like our sin and our brokenness, right? Here's the best picture that I have for how that works. Um, I get car sick. Anybody else motion sick, car sick, you gotta drive? I am in my own club here, huh? Okay, God bless you all. Somebody's sort of admitting it over there. I won't call your name out. Um, If I don't ride in the front seat, it's almost a guarantee. If I don't drive, it's almost a guarantee. And I try to drive everywhere I go, which is really miserable in other countries because that can be crazy. Um, The last time that I was in a car with somebody and they drove, it was only five minutes, but I was sick for the rest of the day. (laughs) It was just right around town. The rest of the day, I was like, it was terrible, right? Now, some of my best friends know this about me. And so whenever we go somewhere, they are very kindly and lovingly just hand me the keys, which is really wonderful. I'm so grateful. Um, one of them handed me the keys one time and suggested that, you know, maybe this has to something to do with, with this unresolved dysfunctional need that I have to be in control. <laughs> I was actually considering that until my neurologist and chiropractor both said, no, that's nonsense. So thank you. Um, but I always have Dramamine with me. Always, 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 just in case. Now, I remember years ago when uh, Dave Johnson was, uh, uh, came down, I had him come and speak at a retreat. I was at another church. Um, it was the first time we'd actually spent significant time together since I worked on his staff. And he had rented this car to go to the retreat. We did the retreat on the way home from Prescott. He said, hey, why don't you ride with me and jump in the car? And so I did. Um, anybody picture that drive from the 17, the mountain roads? Not a, not a good plan, not a good idea. And at first I thought, okay, I can handle this. I, I can handle this. But before long, I realized the sensation is getting stronger, right? And then pretty soon I'm clenching my, my jaw, my eyes, my stomach, my fists, my back, my butt. Like it was all clenched, right? I was like, this was bad. This was bad. Like I did not want to throw up. Did not want to throw up. But finally, anybody, anybody else hate? I hate throwing up. I hate it. Oh, I hate it. But finally I did, we pulled over like just in time by the Rock Springs Cafe that you know where they, I didn't want pie this time so, um, and I did and there you go. And how do you think I felt like right away? Yeah, relief, relief, right? Now check this out. <clears throat> Confessing sin is a lot like throwing up, right? At first, I will do anything to avoid it. I tighten my jaw, I grind my teeth, I squint my eyes, I feel totally crappy, I am miserable, I make other people miserable. But when I finally confess my sin, it's, it's messy, right? <laughs> and it stinks. Um, there's nothing fun about it. But when I get out here on the outside, what's going on here on the inside, I, I might still have a mess to clean up, but I feel so much better. <sighs> Comfort, free, Relieved. First John chapter one verse nine says this way better and a lot less graphically. Uh, let's read this out loud. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, by getting out the junk that's festering on the inside, we get comfort. 
We are instantly forgiven by this loving God who wants to set us free from sin so we can experience his kingdom, his life, and live free. See, listen, blessed are those who mourn is not just some little poetic, frilly, useless statement by Jesus. It's actually a a part of a way of life, a way of life that leads us to freedom, wholeness, life, and actually joy. See, this is what grace does. Blessed are those who mourn. They alone get the comfort. They alone experience grace. And the people who experience that grace, um, who really get it because they saw how much they needed it, those are the most grateful, joyful, and free people that I know. They really are. Now, when I preach texts like this and I do the study and I do all the work, um, I can't like just do it and kind of blow past and not ask Jesus, are you, is there something you're, because most of the time he's talking to me too, right? And, and, and this week, even with this, um, there were so many different ways <laughs> through different groups and studies and things that I'm in and even our, some of our Get Your Life Back study with the book group and, and uh, the men's group that I'm in and some pastor's groups. Like, it just kept coming up that Jesus was inviting me. Is there something, um, I was asking, is something that I'm supposed to pay attention to and more? And I tell you what, the thing that came up, I was like, no, I've done a lot of work around that, a lot of counseling, and I'm actually really grateful. I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. And he was so persistent with it. And you know what happened when I finally said, okay, we'll peel that next layer of the onion on this one. I found comfort. where I didn't even know I needed it. And it unlocked some things in my heart that needed to be unlocked. See, this is a beautiful invitation from Jesus to us. He's saying, guys, let it all out. Don't live in all this stuff. Don't keep it, don't stew it, stew in it. Don't, don't bury it, but, but mourn it. And when we really get out here, the stuff that's actually going on inside, when we get it on the outside, guess what happens? <laughs> Those people that do that, they and they alone get the comfort. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. And when we do that, it's remarkable. And God shows up in different ways. There's no formula to it. For me, one of the things that just comes back to me after I have mourned something and let it go is I start to experience the goodness of God. And when I take Jesus up on this life-giving practice of mourning and expressing this stuff to, to, to him and to someone around me that I trust, when I take him up on this, I experience re- release and freedom and comfort. And there's this thread for me that has run through my entire life when I do that, where this theme that God is good, he really is good, he is full of goodness to me, that he can be trusted. And so when the hard things that I have walked through in life, when we get real about that stuff, eventually we get to look back and see that all our life, he's been good. (laughs) All our life, he's been faithful. And no matter the pain, the grief, the agony or despair or hurt, his goodness is pursuing us. And as this song we're gonna sing in a bit says, it's running after, his goodness is running running 
after you and me. Worship team, will you come? Um, We're going to give you a couple minutes before we sing with these questions here. What is it that you need to mourn? What is it that you need to get real about? Uh, Maybe what is it that you need to confess? And maybe it's something horrific, like a a trauma, and you've just kept it. I can't look at that. I've seen some courageous people in the last month face things that are unimaginable, and I'm watching them start to come to life. It's beautiful and amazing. It's a long journey to healing. And it doesn't happen overnight, but that journey, even from trauma, doesn't start until we say it out loud to God and to another brother or sister who's a godly, mature Christian. We get it out. That's where it begins. Um, or maybe you're, you're experiencing confusion or disappointment in this. Uh, maybe you've just minimized it because, you know, well, a lot of people have just, it, it's so much worse for other people. So you stuff the disappointment and you, you fake it. You don't really get it out. But listen, friend, to you as well, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourns for they get the comfort. That's for you. Don't minimize it. You can get the comfort because the ones who mourn are the ones who get a little more free and a little more free and a little more free the more that they just get real. And don't live in it, but get it out so that they can begin to heal and bring it into the light. They get the comfort. They get life. Or maybe there's a sin that you've been dealing with or, or, not, or not dealing with. Like we, we love to pretend or hide or deny or minimize, ignore this sin that's going on. But friends, it makes, us, it makes us sick. Wouldn't you love to be free of it? Wouldn't you love to be free of that? That process of getting it out, confessing it, then and only then can the healing come. And to them and only them can the process of freedom begin. And so in a few minutes, we will sing about the goodness of God. But, but before we sing, we're just going to instrumentally play and let you sit with these three questions and get real with God about what it is that you need to mourn and confess. Jesus, we, we do, we open our hearts, we invite you in. Is there something that you're inviting us to mourn to get real about? Is there something that even we might need to confess? Whatever it is that we are carrying this morning, Jesus, I pray that we would take you at your word, that we would let it come to the surface, and that we would begin to trust you with our stuff. We sit with you now, Jesus, and ponder this question and permission and access to our hearts.